From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Of course, hospitals are taking care of patients with ailments that are not related to the coronavirus, but there are some changes in the way healthcare is being delivered. Talking with me about what a trip to the emergency department is like during the pandemic is Dr. Bill Palo. He's an associate professor of emergency medicine and of public health and preventive medicine at Upstate, and he's the interim chair of the emergency department. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Palo. Thank you for having me. Now, in some parts of the country, emergency departments have seen a reduction in the number of patients seeking care. Is, do you think that's happening here? Yeah, I would say that's happening here. What we've seen as the pandemic has moved its way into central New York is that the overall volume of patients that we're seeing has gone down. Now, simultaneously with that, what we're seeing is that most of the people who are coming to emergency departments are presenting with COVID-related complaints, things like shortness of breath, fever, cough. So while the overall volume of standard everyday complaints like appendicitis and chest pain has gone down, what we've seen is that has mostly been filled with people with COVID. So do you fear that there are people in the community that have legitimate medical problems and they're not seeking treatment for them? Yeah, this is one of our biggest concerns. So when we look at countries that preceded us, like Italy, what we found was there was a proportion of individuals in the epidemiological data that were listed as excess deaths not attributable to COVID. And presumably these are individuals with things like diabetes, congestive heart failure, and chronic medical conditions who don't seek care because they're afraid that they might get infected at their physician's office or at the hospital. And what it turns out is when these individuals don't seek care, they become peripheral injuries from the pandemic. So they might not be directly harmed by the pandemic, but their fear of seeking care results in harm because their chronic conditions continue to worsen without care. So what we try to emphasize to individuals is that your chronic conditions are not going to get better during COVID. Your rates of catching COVID in the hospital are exceedingly low. So please, if you have any of these conditions, go to your doctors, schedule a telemedicine visit, or come to the emergency department just like you always would. So how can patients be assured that they won't catch the virus by coming to the hospital? Sure. I would tell you that I think the hospital environment is one of the safer places to be right now. It's certainly less chaotic than uh, a grocery store, by way of example. So when you come to the hospital, uh, the first thing that you'll note, especially if you come to a place like Upstate, is that everybody wears masks. So everybody, whether you're a patient with an ankle sprain or a patient with cough, is put, in a, is put into a mask. In addition, uh, we take a look at what your complaints are and decide where in the emergency department you might go. We've segregated our emergency department into a COVID-like side, so if you have COVID-like symptoms, and a non-COVID side, say you are that individual with an ankle sprain. If you have COVID-related complaints, you get put into a private room, the door is closed, you're not exposed to the rest of the people who are there with you, you have a separate waiting area and a separate triage area. If you come with non-COVID-related complaints, your ankle sprain, your diabetes-related complaints, you go into a different part of the emergency department. Regardless, though, everybody is masked, and the only thing that changes is the level of masking that we use for people with COVID or people that we're suspecting might have COVID versus people that do not. So I would tell you that the way we've segregated the emergency departments and the way we've ensured universal masking makes it a very safe environment to be seen for your care. And so if people show up there and they don't have a mask, you will give them one. 
That's correct. That's okay. correct. And you get your temperature checked. Uh, everybody that comes into the hospital now uh, gets their temperature checked too. So everybody meaning visitors as well, or are visitors still restricted? Visitors are still restricted, but that means even EMS and uh, janitorial staff, nurses, physicians, anybody that enters the property gets their temperature checked before they're entered into the property. So how do things work? Because Upstate has the, the region's pediatric emergency department as well. Are you doing sort of the same thing for the children? Uh, yes, we're doing the same thing in terms of masking. In terms of visitor, we allow one parent to go with them. Uh, so they don't have a lack of visitor policy, obviously, because these are pediatric patients. The parent is masked, the child is masked. Um, and then we do have not two separate sides, not a COVID side and a non-COVID side, but we do have rooms that we put individuals or children that we're concerned about COVID into. Um, so we do have a process there. It's not quite the same as in the adult ED, um, but the process is there to ensure uh, reduction in transmission. All right. So parents can be assured that they can still come to the pediatric emergency department without being exposed. That's correct. So how is telehealth being used in the emergency department or is it? So what we've done is we've created a, a virtual platform uh, that allows us to see patients with urgent care type of complaints. So if you had you know, minor cuts and scrapes, medication refills, things that you would wind up normally to go to an urgent care for, we have a virtual emergency department that you can visit now. Uh, it's available in Upstate's MyChart or available on the emergency department Upstate website. All you do is make a phone call or click an appointment and then you'll see an emergency physician, a board certified emergency physician from the comfort of your home. Now this is not to supplant coming to the emergency department when you need to. This would be for the type of complaint you would go to an, an urgent care for. Um, and if you were going to wind up going to an urgent care, uh, we would rather be able to see you from the comfort of your home. We still want as many people in the emergency department as possible for those emergency complaints, but this is for the less emergent complaints that would normally wind up as under an urgent care umbrella. So do you need to have a computer to use the telehealth option or is there a, a dial-in option? You can, we do telephone consults. We prefer you utilize something with a webcam. Um, so that can work from any smartphone, a computer or a laptop. Okay. Well, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Bill Palo, the interim chair of Upstate University Hospital's emergency department. So I wanted to ask you to go through the procedure for caring for someone who comes to the emergency department because they have fever, difficulty breathing, some of the hallmark symptoms of COVID-19. Are you still sure. asking that they call first? Um, we do ask if you have that to call, um, but if you are in extremis or in distress, we just prefer you come to the emergency room and we can start taking care of you right away. So some of the things that we do when you come in, number one, we're going to put you in an isolating room, an isolation room, uh, and in there, we're going to start care. So some of the things that we're concerned about with COVID in particular are the failure to be able to get oxygen into your lungs and then into your blood. So some of the things that we start doing immediately, in addition to getting blood work, testing you for COVID, getting things like chest x-rays, are to give you some kind of supplemental oxygen and see how you respond to that. Uh, one of the most important things and a hallmark of how you will do is how you respond to oxygen once we administer it. Um, so people we see with COVID generally have lower what we call oxygen saturations. That's the percent of oxygen bound to hemoglobin in their bloods. 
So what we expect is that when we give them supplemental oxygen, then they'll start to improve. If they don't, we have other ways of helping you as well. But what you'll find that we do is immediately you start having tests. We put IVs in you. We test you for COVID. We do have two types of COVID tests, depending upon what we think about. Uh, one is a very rapid test that turns around in 45 minutes. One is a longer test that takes about 24 hours. Uh, we have both to implement, and it depends on a number of different factors, which one we will perform. Um, if you're going home, we're generally doing the 24-hour one. If you're being admitted, we're generally doing the rapid one. And then you'll find that you're masked, and all of us are going to be wearing PPE, so personal protective equipment, uh, N95 masks, goggles, gowns, and what have you. So how do you decide if someone's going to go home or if they need to be admitted? So we have a constellation of symptoms that we utilize and uh, objective parameters that we utilize to see who needs to come into the hospital and who can go home. Most of those pertain to your clinical status. How are you breathing? How is your work of breathing? Work of breathing being defined as do you look when you're sitting down like you just ran a marathon? Or do you look like you're comfortable and breathing at a normal rate? How is your oxygen saturation? What comorbidities do you have? Do you have diabetes? How old are you? Um, how are your laboratory values? Are they showing some of the abnormal laboratory values that we see in more severe forms of COVID? So we use that as a constellation of symptoms and laboratory values and objective clinical findings to discern whether or not you're in a higher risk category or a lower risk category. If you're in a lower risk category, we tell you to go home and self-quarantine. We provide you with a mask when you go home and to self-quarantine uh, for up to 14 days, um, depending upon your test. If your test is negative, then you could potentially, potentially with uh, utilization of Department of Health, be removed from quarantine before that. But if you're positive, certainly for 14 days, and then removal from quarantine in conjunction with the Department of Health. Okay, interesting. Well, from the perspective of an emergency physician, how does this infection differ from influenza? Because you sort of see an uptick in influenza cases each flu season, right? Mm -hmm. How does this differ from that? Um, so what I would tell you is the clinical behavior of this is similar to influenza insofar as the same type of manifestations of severe symptoms that we would see in influenza we're seeing with this. So the amount of pneumonia, um, what we call ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome are similar to the patterns that we see in influenza. What's distinct here is the amount and severity that we're seeing. So with standard yearly influenza, we see small rates of these kind of complications, severe infection of the lungs, severe systemic inflammatory syndromes. With COVID, it happens on around a 10 to 15 time higher rate than seasonal influenza. So when we look at severity, when we look at mortality, what we find is in terms of respiratory viral pathogens, it has some of the similar hallmarks to influenza, but it does it in a much more aggressive and much higher rate than, uh, than seasonal influenza. This behaves much more like what we would call pandemic influenza, much similar to what we saw in the 1918 flu pandemic when a brand new flu virus came on the world and infected a giant rate thanks to World War I and the dispersion of population in, uh, in World War I and wound up with really high death rates. So what we see is that it's similar in terms of its manifestations with some unique and quirky things about it, but it affects uh, much more people and the severity of it is much more severe. How did your training in emergency medicine prepare you for a pandemic response? So when I was a resident, we 
did research into modeling for flu pandemics. So respiratory pandemics are something that we always worry about because we know on 50 to 100 years, we're going to encounter respiratory pandemics. It's never gone away. It's always been an inevitability. Uh, so part of what I did was I worked with a team that was doing avian influenza modeling. So we looked at things that we're dealing with now. Some of these questions that you're seeing on a larger scale are things that we've all thought about. How much PPE are needed? How many ventilators do we have? What are the movement of people? Where are the hotspots that we're going to have to deal with? How do you put out a hotspot and contain a hotspot? Where do people congregate the most? So emergency medicine prepared me intellectually for it. And then in terms of my day-to-day -day clinical practice, it certainly prepared me to take care of these people because what does an emergency physician do on a day-to-day -day basis? We diagnose disease, we stabilize the acuity of illness, and then we treat. So things that we need and the skill set that we have as emergency physicians, the ability to recognize severe illness, to isolate severe illness, to treat people, to intubate if we need to, to treat systemic inflammatory conditions are all in the cadre of what an emergency physician does. Thank you so much to Dr. Bill Palo. He's an Associate Professor of Emergency Medicine and of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Upstate, and he's the Interim Chair of the Emergency Department at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.